chapter twenty five of the star chamber volume one by w harrison ainsworth this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox dot org read by ruhi huck the star chamber volume one by w harrison ainsworth chapter twenty five sir thomas lake a grave-looking man of a melancholy and severe aspect and attired in a loose robe of black velvet was seated alone in a chamber of which opened upon the fountain court which we have just quitted he wore a silken skull-cap from beneath which a few grey hairs escaped his brow was furrowed with innumerable wrinkles occasioned as much by thought and care as by age his pointed beard and moustaches were almost white contrasting strikingly with his dark jaundiced complexion the result of an artabularious temperament his person was extremely attenuated and his hands thin and bony he had once been tall but latterly had lost much of his height in consequence of a curvature of the spine which bowed down his head almost upon his breast and fixed it immovably in that position his features were good but as we have stated was stamped with melancholy and sharpened by severity this person was sir thomas lake secretary of state the table at which he sat was strewn over with official documents and papers he was not however examining any of them he had just broken the seal of a private packet which he had received from his wife when an usher entered and intimated that a young maiden who was without solicited a moment's audience the request would have been refused if the man had not gone on to say that he believed the applicant was the daughter of the crazy puritan who had threatened the king's life on the previous day on hearing this sir thomas consented to see her and she was admitted accordingly as soon as the usher had retired aveline unmuffled herself and cold and apathetic as he was sir thomas could not help being struck by her surpassing beauty unimpaired even by the affliction under which she laboured and he consequently softened in some degree the customary asperity of his tones in addressing her who are you maiden and what seek you he demanded eyeing her with curiosity i am daughter to the unfortunate hugh calverley now a prisoner in the palace she replied i am sorry to hear it rejoined sir thomas resuming his habitually severe expression for you are the daughter of a very heinous offender the enormity of hugh calverley's crime which is worse than parricade deprives him of all human sympathy and compassion in coming to me you do not i presume intend to weary me with prayers for mercy for none is deserved and none will be shown for my own part i shall not utter a word in mitigation of the dreadful sentence certain to be pronounced upon him nor shall i advise the slightest clemency to be shown him on the part of his majesty such an offender cannot be too severely punished i do not say this he continued somewhat softening his harshness to aggravate the distress and shame you naturally feel but i wish to check at once any hopes you may have formed yet though i have no pity for him i have much for you since doubtless you are innocent of all knowledge of your father's atrocious design happily prevented and i would therefore say to you shut out all feelings for him from your heart the man who raises his hand against his sovereign cuts off by the act all ties of kindred and love affection is changed to abhorrence 
and such detestation does his horrible offence inspire that those of his own blood are bound to shun him lest he derive comfort and consolation from their presence thus considered you are no longer his daughter for he has himself severed the links between you you no longer owe him filial duty and regard for to such he is no more entitled leave him to his fate and if possible for ever obliterate his memory from your breast you counsel what i can never perform honourable sir replied aveline and were he even branded like cain i could not shut my heart towards him nothing can make me forget that i am his daughter that his offence will be dreadfully expiated i do not doubt but if i can alleviate his sufferings in any way i will do so and i will never cease to plead for mercy for him and oh honourable sir you regard his offence in a darker light than it deserves you treat him as if he had actually accomplished the direful purpose attributed to him whereas nothing has been proven against him beyond the possession of a weapon which he might keep about his person for self-defence the plea you urge is futile maiden rejoined sir thomas he is judged out of his own mouth for his own lips have avowed his criminal intention still it was but the intention honourable sir in such cases the intention is equal to the crime at least in the eyes of law and justice no plea will save hugh calverley of that rest assured one plea may be urged for him which whether it avail or not is the truth and shall be made it is painful to speak of my father as i must do now for there is no help for it of late years he has been subject to strange mental hallucinations which have bordered close upon madness if they have not reached that terrible point nocturnal vigils fastings and prayers have affected his health he has denied himself sufficient rest and has only partaken of food barely sufficient to sustain nature and no more the consequence has been that strange fancies have troubled his brain that at dead of night when alone in his chamber he has imagined that visions have appeared to him that voices have spoken awful voices talking of prophecies lamentations and judgments and charging him with a mighty and terrible mission all these things i have heard from his own lips and i have heard and seen much more which has satisfied me that his intellects are disordered and that he cannot be held accountable for his actions if such be the case he should have been kept under restraint and not suffered to go abroad said sir thomas such madmen are highly mischievous and dangerous much blame rests with you maiden the whole blame is mine she exclaimed i confess my error my crime and will atone for it willingly with my life provided he be spared if a sacrifice must be made let me be the victim there is no sacrifice and no victim returned sir thomas gravely though he was not unmoved by her filial devotion there is an offender and there will be justice and justice must be satisfied inexorable as fate her dread sentences cannot be averted o oh, honourable sir you may one day recall those words for which of us can hold himself free from offence my father is not guilty in the eyes of heaven or if he be i am equally culpable since i ought to have prevented the commission of the crime oh i shall never forgive myself that i did not follow him when he parted from me yesterday let me hear how that occurred maiden asked sir thomas it chanced in this way sir i have already described my father's state of mind and the distempered view he has been accustomed to take of all things yesterday may-day sports were held in the village of tottenham where we dwelt and as such things are an abomination in his 
sight he took upon him to reprove the actors in the pastimes they who witnessed his conduct on that occasion would hardly hold him to be under the due control of reason among the spectators was the son of an old friend whose name having accidentally reached my father he invited him into the house and a misunderstanding having arisen between them the latter suddenly left dismissed almost with rudeness on his departure my father was greatly disturbed more so than i have ever seen him after a while he withdrew to his own chamber as was his habit to pray and i hoped would become tranquillized but the very reverse happened for when he reappeared i saw at once that a fearful change had taken place in him his eye blazed with preternatural light his gestures were wild and alarming and his language full of menace and denunciation he again spoke of his mission from heaven and said that its execution could no longer be delayed this should have been a warning to you observed sir thomas knitting his brows it should honourable sir but i did not profit by it i knew and felt that he was no longer under the dominion of reason that he was labouring under some terrible delusion that approached its crisis but i did not check him i yielded passive obedience to his injunction that i should depart instantly with an old servant to london and i agreed to tarry at a house which he mentioned till i heard from him i had sad forebodings that i should never hear from him again or if i did that the tidings would be worse than none at all but i obeyed i could not indeed resist his will i set forth with my attendant and my father parted with us at the door he placed money in my hand and bade me farewell but in such a tone and with such a look that i felt his senses were gone and i would have stayed him but it was then too late breaking from my embrace he sprang upon his horse which was already saddled and rode off taking the direction of edmonton while i with a heart full of distress and misgiving pursued my way to london ere midnight my sad presentiments were verified a messenger traced me out bringing intelligence of the direful event that had happened and informing me that my father was a prisoner at theobald's as soon as i could procure means of reaching the palace i set forth and arrived here about an hour ago when failing in my efforts to obtain an interview with my father who is closely confined and none suffered to come near him save with authority from the secretary of state i sought an audience with you honourable sir in the hope that you would grant me permission to see him if i do grant it the interview must take place in the presence of the officer to whom his custody has been committed replied sir thomas with this restriction i am willing to assign an order for you be it as you please honourable sir and take my heartfelt gratitude for the grace sir thomas struck a small bell upon the table and the usher appeared at the summons bid the officer in charge of hugh calverley attend me he said the man bowed and departed sir thomas lake then turned to the paper which he had just opened before aveline's appearance and was soon so much engrossed by it that he seemed quite unconscious of her presence his countenance became gloomier and more austere as he read on and an expression of pain almost a groan escaped him he appeared then to feel sensible that he had committed an indiscretion for he laid down the paper and as if forcibly diverting himself from its contents addressed aveline what you have said respecting your father's condition of mind he observed by no means convinces me that it is so unsound as to render him irresponsible of his actions it were to put a charitable construction upon his conduct to say no one but a madman could be capable of it but there was too much consistency in what he has said and done to admit of such an inference 
but of the interposition of another person he owned that he would have killed the king and the disappointment he exhibited and the language he used proved such to have been his fixed intention his mind may have been disturbed but what of that all who meditate great crimes it is to be hoped are not entirely masters of themselves yet for that reason they are not to be exempt from punishment he who is sane enough to conceive an act of wickedness to plan its execution and to attempt to perpetrate it although he may be in other respects of unsettled mind is equally amenable to the law and ought equally to suffer for his criminality with him who has a wiser and sounder head upon his shoulders aveline attempted no reply but the tears sprang to her eyes at this moment the door was thrown open by the usher to admit sir jocelyn Monchensi. an emotion displayed by the young couple when thus brought together passed unnoticed by the secretary of state as he was occupied at the moment in writing the authority for aveline and did not raise his eyes towards them are you the officer to whom my father's custody has been entrusted exclaimed aveline as soon as she could give utterance to her surprise why do you ask that question mistress demanded sir thomas looking up what can it signify to you who hath custody of your father provided good care be taken of him there is a latin maxim which his majesty cited at the banquet last night etiam acanito insine remedium and which may be freely rendered by our homely saying that it is an ill wind that bloweth nobody good luck and this hath proved true with sir jocelyn mountchesney for the gust that had wrecked your father had driven him into port where he now rides securely in the sunshine of the king's favour now is this to be wondered at since it was by sir jocelyn that his majesty's life was preserved the king preserved by him exclaimed aveline in bewilderment ay marry and indeed young mistress rejoined sir thomas he arrested the fell traitor was knighted on the spot for the service by the king was invited afterward to the grand banquet in the evening and, and received with more distinction than any other guest and he is now as you find entrusted with the custody of the prisoner thus if your father had done little good to himself he had done much to sir jocelyn aveline could not repress an exclamation of anguish no more of this i entreat sir thomas said cried sir jocelyn it is right she should hear the truth replied the secretary of state here is her authority for admittance to her father he continued giving it to him it must take place in your presence sir jocelyn and you will pay strict attention to what they say he added in a low tone for you will have to report all that passes between them to the council something may arise to implicate the girl herself so let not escape you be vigilant in your office as is needful i mention this as you are new to it and if the prisoner continues obstinate he hath hitherto shown himself threaten him with the torture the rack will certainly be applied when he reaches the tower i need not give you further instructions i think sir jocelyn be pleased to return to me when the interview is over upon this he bowed gravely and sounded the bell for the usher unable to offer any remonstrance sir jocelyn approached aveline who could scarcely support herself with the intention of offering her assistance but she shrank from him and again muffling her face went forth while he slowly followed her end of chapter 25